Welcome to Watchman on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Mac Dominic looks at the Nephilim, and Larry Stamm has another installment of his teaching series, The Jewish Roots of Christianity. Watchman on the Wall is here to bring clarity to the chaos and encourage us that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Some of the ways we do that is with our free e-newsletter, A Moment of Prophecy. Timely articles and messages of hope and encouragement delivered to your inbox. Sign up today to start getting a Moment of Prophecy e-newsletter. Visit swrc.com or simply call 1-800-652-1144. Larry Stamm is here now continuing his in-depth look at the Jewish roots of Christianity. Shalom, friends. Larry Stamm here. So glad you're joining us as we continue our study of the Jewish roots of Christianity. We are in the midst of doing a biblical survey of redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation. We are continuing on and concluding our study of the New Covenant during our last lesson. We were concluding our study of the Davidic Covenant. We've talked about the covenants of God. They're very important. The Abrahamic Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant, the New Covenant all pertain to Israel, the church, and God's redemptive plan for man. I want to conclude our study of the New Covenant. It's very important for the church. It's also an important covenant as pertaining to the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. We mentioned in our study last time that the New Covenant was unconditional, was a promise God originally made to Israel and Judah in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. I encourage you to get a Bible and study that out on your own. We talked about the prophecy given Now we talk about Jesus announcing the new covenant at the Last Supper in Matthew 26, where he raised the third cup, the cup of redemption, at that Last Supper, which, by the way, was a Jewish Seder, and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. The new covenant then soon after is inaugurated at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the church is born. I mentioned last time that Pentecost is actually the Jewish feast of Shavuot, Penta, Greek for 50th, Shavuot, 50th in Hebrew, seven Sabbaths and a day after Passover, the church was born in Acts chapter 2. And then we talked about the ultimate fulfillment that will occur at the millennial reign of Christ when Jesus returns, Israel will be saved the earthly kingdom established, we were reading from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 through 31. I also mentioned Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, and you can read more about that earthly fulfillment. Also, in Zechariah 12, 10 through chapter 13, and also in Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 through 23, if you'd like to do further study. I want to conclude our study of the New Covenant by talking about how it relates to us as believers in Jesus Christ, as Christians, as the body of Messiah made of Jew and Gentile. We talked last time about the fact that under the New Covenant economy, we have a better sacrifice and we have a better priesthood. I want to continue now talking about the fact that under the New Covenant economy, 
we have a more intimate relationship with God in this fact. Under the Old Covenant, under the Mosaic Covenant, the Holy Spirit would only come upon different people to accomplish different purposes at different places in God's plan. Prophets, priests, and kings, artisans, the Spirit would anoint, the Spirit would come upon, the Spirit would fill. Under the New Covenant economy, we have a more intimate relationship with God in this specific way, that every single individual who puts their trust and faith in Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, is now filled, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. In Hebrew, we would say the Ruach HaKadosh, the third person in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, the Ruach, the Spirit. And we would say again in Hebrew, the Holy Spirit is the Ruach HaKadosh. He, in fact, God the Spirit indwells all who know and trust in Jesus Christ. I turn your attention to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read these powerful verses, Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 18. There is much that could be said here. I'm only touching upon it, but as we conclude our study on the new covenant, I want us to go over it nonetheless. Ephesians 2, I'm beginning in verse 11. I want to provide some context for this section, which is very powerful. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11, we read, Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ or Messiah, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So there was a time past when God made covenant promises with Israel and made future covenant promises with Gentiles. We mentioned Isaiah 42 and 49, where God said that Messiah would be a light unto the Gentiles, that the salvation of God would be made known to the very ends of the earth. That has occurred in the person and work of Jesus. Verse 13, Ephesians 2, we continue. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, but now... In Christ Jesus, but now in Messiah Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, that's a reference to Gentiles, are made nigh or brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he, Jesus, is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make him in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh. Through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father." So Gentiles who once were far off from the promises and covenants made to Israel are now drawn near through the person, through the blood of Christ, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, through the new covenant economy, okay? And Paul writes in verse 14 of Ephesians 2 that he hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between the two. So in verse 15, Paul reiterates, in Christ, he is making in himself twain one new man, making peace. So remember, Paul also had written that in Christ, in the book of Romans, he said, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, but we now 
as believers in Jesus, whether we are Jewish or Gentile, are now made one together in him. And all God's people should say amen and hallelujah to that. And we have a more intimate relationship with God, Ephesians 2.18. Note that Paul concludes this short section writing for through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So through Jesus and through faith in him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father, that spirit being the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit. All who know the Lord are now indwelt with the Spirit, so therefore we have a more intimate relationship with God. He is not only with us, he is in us. Finally, as we conclude our study of the New Covenant, I want you to notice that the methodology for God's people is different under the New Covenant economy. In Exodus chapter 19, when God called ancient Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation unto the nations, he told them not to go out lest they fall into idolatry. But under the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, the same mission to be a light to the world, to be a kingdom of priests, to be a holy nation— For the church, the methodology is different than it was for ancient Israel. Ancient Israel was called to be a light to the nations and to bring proselytes or converts to the worshiping community of Israel, both physically, relationally, and spiritually. Under the new covenant economy, under the Great Commission mandate, remember Jesus said in Matthew 28 to his people, go out and make disciples of all nations. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, if you remember just before he ascended, the glorified Jesus in his resurrected state told the disciples just before he ascended that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utter ends of the world. So under the Great Commission, we as God's people are called to go out. That's key. So as we conclude our time on the New Covenant, I hope that's been an encouragement to you. We're now going to continue our time as we study briefly Romans 9, 10, and 11, really the chair passage in the New Testament regarding God's relationship with Israel. In Romans chapter 9, Paul writes about God's past dealings with Israel, that Israel was God's chosen, that God elected Israel to accomplish certain redemptive purposes specifically that through Israel, Messiah Jesus would be born. In Romans chapter 10, Paul was writing in that day in the first century about God's present dealings with Israel and that he talked about Israel's corporate rejection of God, but that God had preserved a remnant by grace and that the rest were blinded by works. So that was Romans chapter 10. So God's rejection of Israel in Romans chapter 10 and Israel's rejection of God Neither was final nor was that complete, and that God has always preserved a believing remnant of Jewish people. I am a Christian. I am the first Christian in my family. I've been a believer over 30 years, and as I've mentioned in programs past, more and more Jewish people are coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In fact, since 1967, when Israel retook Jerusalem and again made it the capital city, more Jewish people have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus as Messiah and Lord in the last 50-plus years than at any time in history save the first century when the early church was Jewish. In Romans 11, 
We find that in the first 10 verses, and I encourage you to study this out on your own, in verses 1 through 10 of Romans chapter 11, and by the way, Romans 11, God lays out his purpose and plan for Israel's future. So if you're taking notes, Romans 9 is a teaching about God's past dealings with Israel, Romans 10 about God's present dealings with Israel in the first century, and Romans 11, Paul was laying out God's purpose and plan for Israel's future. In verses 1 through 10 of Romans 11, Paul writes that God has not cast away his people forever. Remember, God's casting away his people was neither complete nor was it permanent. God has not cast away his people forever, Paul writes in Romans 11, verses 1 through 10. In verses 11 through 32, Paul writes that God's plan and purpose for Israel in the future includes God's future dealings with Israel. He talks about, in verses 16 through 24, the question of national privilege, and he tells the Gentile believers in the Roman church not to be prideful, for they were grafted into the natural branch being Israel. So the root Israel in God's redemptive plan remains, and Gentiles have been grafted into the root of God's redemptive tree, if you will, the nation of Israel, through faith in Jesus, who has provided the new covenant economy, which is inclusive. Remember, for God so loved the world. Remember, God has given the Messiah not only as the Savior of the Jewish people, but also as a light to the Gentiles. And then we find at the end of Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 32, which I do want to read, the fact that all Israel shall be saved. Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 32, I want to begin there. In verse 25, Paul writes in Romans 11, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own eyes, conceited, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. It's very important. God has temporarily blinded the nation of Israel during what we call the age of grace or the church age until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So we're living in the age of grace where God's redemptive plans and purposes are focused primarily on the nations of the world. But notice that's not the end. That's only part of the story. Paul continues in verse 26 by quoting the Old Testament. And he says, And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written, quoting Isaiah 59, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away their ungodliness shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. So verses 26 and 27. In verse 26, Paul quotes Isaiah 59. In verse 27, when he says, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. He is also quoting Isaiah 27. We talked about the new covenant earlier from Jeremiah 31. the second coming of Christ. Jesus will fulfill those covenant promises regarding the new covenant to the nation of Israel. Paul continues in verse 28, As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, for as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so, these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. 
For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. So because of Israel's temporary state of stupor, that God in the mystery of his providence has bestowed upon Israel, he's given them a temporary state of blindness. Why? To bless the nations of the earth with salvation. And at the second coming of Christ, friends, in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, I mentioned it before, the word of God says that at the second coming, they, the Jewish people, shall look upon me, the Messiah, whom they have pierced. That's what the word is saying. They shall look upon me, whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And then the word of God says in Zechariah 12 that God shall grace them with the spirit of of grace and supplication, and they will be saved. That's a covenant promise God will make at the second coming. And then finally, the great doxology. So all Israel will be saved. And I encourage you to read Zechariah 12 through chapter 14. Read Ezekiel 20, verses 33 through 44. Read Isaiah chapter 11. All the reference to the second coming of Christ, the restoration of the nation of Israel, that all Israel shall be saved, and elements of the millennial kingdom. Finally, the great doxology I want to conclude with in verses 33 through 36. Paul writes in Romans 11, O the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. To learn more about the millennial reign of Christ, I would encourage you to read Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48. This section of Scripture provides more details about the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, the millennial reign, than all other Old Testament prophecies put together. Once again, it's been great to be with you. I hope you've been encouraged as we've concluded our study of the New Covenant and briefly touched upon Romans 9, 10, and 11. I commend your study to really delve into Romans 9, 10, and 11. It's really important to understand Israel's place in God's redemptive plan. So glad, again, that you've joined us in our next study. We are going to begin talking about the temple and the tabernacle. So until then, friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Larry Stamp's complete teaching on the Jewish roots of Christianity can be found in both his book and the complete 16-episode television series. Get both the four-DVD set and book Jewish Roots of Christianity when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online, swrc.com. We're just a little over a month away from our next in-person conference. This is a huge conference featuring 12 speakers over two full days. Friday and Saturday, March 25th and 26th in Tri-Cities, Tennessee. Get all the details by visiting the events page of our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. And click on Events. The Tri-Cities, Tennessee Mega Conference. March 25th and 26th. Registration is free, but seating is limited, so be sure and register today. I also want to ask you to please be in prayer for our new Studio 50 initiative. We are in dire need of a new recording studio. 
Most of the equipment we use to produce Watchmen on the Wall is outdated, and we're in need of new equipment and software. Many of you were so faithful last year in helping us update our print shop with new digital equipment, we're now asking you to help us with our recording studio. The goal is $50,000. This includes all the needed equipment, software, and installation. And I know that with your help, we can meet this goal. To support our Studio 50 project, simply call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144 and let the operator know that you want to help. You can also designate your gift for the Studio 50 project when you give online. SWRC.com. That's SWRC.com. Thank you. James Collins and his guest Mac Dominic come now to talk about the sons of God and the Nephilim on today's Moment of Prophecy. Today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. Adolf Hitler's evil obsession with witchcraft, Satanism, astrology, and pagan religions led to the death of over 6 million Jewish people. Joining me to talk about Hitler's occult connection and how these things fit into last day's deception is Mac Dominic. Mac is one of our favorite Bible teachers and a longtime friend of our ministry. Today we're going to talk about his brilliant teaching DVD set called Blood Sacrifice. There's two volumes in The Blood Sacrifice. Volume 1 is Cleansing the Soil for the Aryan Antichrist, and Volume 2 is Thy Kingdom Come, Hitler's Complete Conquest of the German Christian Churches. Mac, welcome back to The Watchman on the Wall. Thank you, James. The title of the DVD set is Blood Sacrifice because through the concentration camps, the Nazis were actually sacrificing the Jews to their pagan gods to cleanse the soil for the Aryan Antichrist. Would you elaborate on that? The Aryan philosophy that permeated Germany before World War II was that the Aryan race was the superior master race. And it was a situation where people looked at a pure bloodline and they wanted to preserve and promote the pure Aryan blood in order to bring about the Superman or the Ubermensch, as they called it. And they also wanted to get land to accommodate all of those folks who they felt belonged in the Aryan race. And that would be Nordic, Teutonic, and other Western European races all together. And so they wanted to get the land. They wanted to cleanse the land of all unacceptable inferior races and then sacrifice their blood to these pagan gods to promote the Aryan race. Would you briefly explain Hitler's fascination with the occult? Hitler bought into the story that had been preached in Germany from the mid-19th century of how from Atlantis came seven root races, one of those being the Aryans who were dominant, and that was due to the infusion with aliens from outer space and all kinds of things that worked into that, but he studied the secret doctrine of H.P. Blavatsky. And the secret doctrine is a two-volume set if you have the books. And this two-volume set was dictated to her by a spirit guide. So basically, Hitler kept the secret doctrine by his bed, 
studied it religiously and utilized all of that power to gain a position to be possessed by a dark spirit to rule over Germany. And it was all a very supernatural situation where he came to be the ruler of Germany via a supernatural agency, through the occult sciences, specifically from the teachings of Blavatsky and her spirit guides. Isn't it true, Mac, that Hitler's Nuremberg rallies were actually satanic rituals? Yes, they were. As a matter of fact, you know, they duplicated the Temple of Zeus from Pergamos, Greece. The setting there was at what is the Temple of Zeus. Now, we know that Zeus was the son of two of the Titans, and the Titans can be equated with the Watchers of Genesis 6, and Zeus also can be equated directly with Satan, and Baal and other pagan gods are listed in the Bible. So basically what they did, they duplicated the whole temple of Zeus in Nuremberg, and they held these rallies there under the umbrella of occult power and occult guidance. There's no question about it. Wasn't there a photo of Hitler at Nuremberg with a caption, in the beginning was the word? And didn't some in Germany change the Lord's Prayer to our father Adolf, who art in Nuremberg? Hallowed be thy name, thy third right come. Yes, they did. And as a matter of fact, you know, the Christian, the German church adopted a logo which incorporated the cross and the swastika uh. with the D.C. Deutsch Church all together. So yes, they did all of that. That's exactly right. I believe that history repeats itself, Mac, and just like the German churches went along with Hitler, won't churches go along with the Antichrist when he rises to power? Yes, they will. There's also no question about that biblically, but we do know that those churches will be the remnants of those that are not in the rapture, and so those are people that are not saved, and in Second Thessalonians tells us that they will believe a lie, that they all may be damned because they did not follow the gospel of Jesus Christ in the age of grace. Mac, you and I have talked about this before, but don't you believe that the Holocaust goes back all the way almost to the beginning, to Genesis 3.15? Satan has always wanted to destroy the Jewish people? Yes, I do. Satan has a real vendetta against the Jews, and vendetta is not a really strong enough word. He wants to destroy them because they are God's chosen people. We know that God chose Abraham to be the ancestor of a race of people, and they would be God's people, not because they were larger, stronger, more spiritual, because God in his infinite wisdom chose them for his own people and for his own inheritance. So therefore, Satan wants to do away with God's inheritance because he wants to control the entire creation in a demonic system. My guest on this Holocaust Remembrance Day is Mac Dominic. We've been talking about his excellent DVD set called Blood Sacrifice. You can get a copy of this video documentary by calling 1-800-652-1144 or online at swrc.com. Thanks for listening to this edition of A Moment of Prophecy. This is James Collins reminding you that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
Sons of God and the Nephilim DVD set by Mac Dominic is a two-volume DVD set available to order today. Call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order these DVDs online, swrc.com. Tomorrow on Watchmen on the Wall, we learn how to effectively respond to those who deliberately overlook creation in the flood, the scoffers. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries. It is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.